probably like a lot of you, I've got this little sticker on my windshield. It's up in the left-hand top corner. Tells me when I need to get my oil changed. I hate getting my oil changed. Because you know, as you're sitting in the waiting room, guy's going to come out with a list this long. And he's going to say, okay, we changed your oil. Air pressure was a little low on your tires. We took care of that. In fact, you might want to get uh, your left front tire looked at. It's not looking quite right, but we're not tire people. But we did look at your transmission fluid. When's the last time you've had a flush? You know, we've got a special on power flush right now. You really don't want to let that go. It's for only $175. We'll flush out the whole thing. And by the way, your air filter's dirty, uh, pretty bad. I'd change that if, if I was you. We'll do it for you right now for 15, 20 bucks if you want us to. I'll go make sure we've got one in the computer. And by the way, you know, even though summer's over, now is the, actually the right time to look at your air conditioning coolant, and we'll take care of all, all of those things for only $350. I wanted to spend 25 bucks on an oil change. I thought that was a lot. I hate going to get my oil changed because there's always something that they're going to tell me I got to fix. How many of you feel that way? Yeah, and yet I go in every time and I get my oil changed. What else am I going to do, right? It's kind of like going to the doctor. It's time for your annual checkup, your eyes, your teeth, your body. But you know, if you don't go to the doctor, he can't tell you what's wrong with you. So if you really hate bad news, don't go. Because you know he's going to tell you something. Oh, man, your cholesterol is pretty high. We're going to have to take you. You've got to have to fast for 24 hours so we can check your blood. Oh, leave me alone. But I keep going to the doctor. I don't like bad news. But really, the only thing worse than bad news is not getting that news when you could have done something about it. Hey, if you had only been for your regular checkups, we could have caught that earlier and you would have been fine. But now, now we're not so sure. You, it reminds me of this story of this woman. She said, you know, honey, uh, my gas light went on, but I made it all the way across town and I got to the gas station before I ran out of gas. So I guess those lights aren't that important because I've been running around with that oil change light on for months. No! <laughs> Engine is shot! In the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17, is the holiday, holy day, known as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That was yesterday. Jewish people to this very day still honor that holy day. I see Yom Kippur, in a sense, like a necessary checkup. You know you're going to get bad news, but you've got to go in and see what the doctor has to say. The Bible says this, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So what Jewish people do once a year is they examine themselves and they take stock of their relationships. And if they're on the outs with somebody around the time of Yom Kippur, they make a phone call or they send a letter and say, I know things have been wrong with us and I'd like to apologize for my point in that and is there anything I can do to make it right? If they've got something between them and God, this is the time of year where they confess and ask God to forgive them. And even though we're not under the Old Testament, what an awesome tradition to examine ourselves thoroughly and to see, is there a relationship that needs to be fixed? Is there something between me and God that isn't right? Yom Kippur is a pretty cool holiday. But there's definitely bad news because you're never going to stand before God and ask, is there something that's not right? And he'll say, no, you're fine, you're good. 
there's always going to be some bad news. The Bible says there's not a just man on the face of the earth that does good and does not sin. All of us mess up. You know it. I know it. And God knows it. So the best thing to do is confront it head on and deal with it. So the idea is we examine ourselves, we correct ourselves, and we ask God to forgive us. But in order to do that, we've got to know exactly what those things are that God finds unacceptable. Dear God, I'm sorry I played video games for three hours last Sunday. He doesn't care. Enjoy. So what exactly does he find unacceptable? If you don't know the Bible, you really don't know what God finds unacceptable. Sin is a word that we don't use outside of these four walls in most of our culture today. We use the word felony and the word misdemeanor. When you break the law, it's a crime. So we use the word crime today. Sin is a crime against God. That's all sin means. It's a crime against God. When we do something that God says don't do, that's a sin. It's a crime. When we don't do something that God says we should do, that's also a crime. And then our inability to change those two things, that's also called sin. That's not a crime. That's just who and what we are. That's evidence that we came out of the factory just a wee bit broke. Now, there are some people who take exception. When I say something about that, they get offended. How dare you say I'm that way? Well, you don't know that about yourself? And a lot of people will say, no, I don't know that about myself. I say, well, that's easy to prove. Listen, if you don't think you're that way, just introduce me to your wife. She'll tell me all about your faults. Well, yeah, we've all got faults. Why? Why do we have faults? Well, because we're not perfect. Why aren't we perfect? We want to be. We try to be. Why do we fail? Why is there this inbred thing that keeps us from perfection? That's what I'm talking about. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? That's what I said. That's what I'm talking about. But God holds us accountable for that. Well, that's not fair. No, it's not. It's not fair that it's going to be 90 degrees again in a couple days, but it's going to be. <laughs> Got a jacket this morning. I'm going swimming on Monday. What are you going to do? It's the way it is. So whether it's fair or not is irrelevant. you got to deal with it. That's life. And that's one of the things about like modern schools and education and stuff. Oftentimes, they'll, they'll, like, they'll start a, a football team, but they won't let anybody win because some of the kids will feel bad. Let them feel bad. Get them ready for life. You're not always going to win in life. Life isn't always fair. Don't tell them that it's always fair. Then when they get out there, they're in for a very unpleasant surprise. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You teach them how to survive that world. Be good people, of course, but learn how to survive. So, once a year, we've got to examine ourselves in the Jewish perspective, which is great for us to adopt, too. They did it yesterday. So, if sin is doing things God does not want us to do, what are those things? And if it's not doing things God does want us to do, what are those things? This would be the perfect opportunity, if you haven't already, to begin reading the Bible. 
just get, go online, find that program that says, or the website that says, read the Bible through in a year. It'll even email you the chapters you need to read every day, every couple days, however you set it up. Cool stuff. But since I don't have time to go through all the commandments in the Bible, let me just give you the goal, the picture, the big picture. Love God with all your heart and love your fellow human being as much as you love yourself. That's what the Bible is shooting for with all those commandments. But you know, when we say loving God, what does that mean? It's not like we can send him flowers. How do you love God, really? Well, there's two things you can do to love God. Trust and obey. That's loving God. By the way, trust in the Bible is called faith. That's all faith is. We're going to see in a few minutes the story of Abraham. Abraham was told to offer up his son in sacrifice, and he went to do it. Not because he was crazy, because he trusted God. Um, how many of you were with me on Facebook when I was in Texas? Let me see your hands. <laughs> a lot of you. It was fun. <laughs> Not. But thank you. I got upset. Okay. The drive to Texas, where I needed to go, Midland, was about eight hours. So I said, hmm, should I drive or should I fly? Eight hours is a long drive. I hate driving eight hours. I can't sit still for eight hours. And then it's an eight, another eight hours back. I'll probably have to rent a car or I could take my car. It's going to cost a lot of money. I'll just fly. That was a 14-hour commute that day. <laughs> I could have virtually driven there and back in the time. So I missed the connecting flight. I got in seven minutes late off of my Tucson flight, and I missed the plane by five minutes. How many of you have ever been to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Just assume you're going to miss your flight because you've got to get on a train to catch it. Now, if I wanted to get on a train, I'd have taken a train to Odessa. <laughs> like, listen, connecting flight is gate B fun, leaving at 220, collecting flight. Tell you how long it takes to get to the gate. That would help. The, the, the lady on the flight should have said, if you're connecting to Midland Odessa, gate A7, give yourself a good half hour and run. You might catch your flight. So I missed my flight at 2 o'clock. Actually, I got there at 1.55, and I missed my 2 o'clock flight. Because actually, the 2 o'clock flight, they shut the doors at 1.50. You learn such new things. Facebook, and I Not till 4 o'clock. Pray for me. And then one of my friends Facebooked me back and said, I wonder who your divine appointment's with. It's like, oh, talk about an attitude adjustment. And it was good. Thank you. And I was like, yeah, I missed this flight, but God's in control. I'm missing this flight for a reason. Don't know what the reason is. So my prayer became, God, if there's a divine appointment here, I want to meet that divine appointment. And if I'm late for another reason, if you'd be gracious to let me know, just so I know why, that's cool. But I might miss this flight and never know why, that's fine too, but I'd like to know. If you don't appointment. Picking up conversation. You know, helping God out and all. <laughs> Nobody came up to me. Struck me as a divine appointment. And by the way, that four fifteen flight, it was overbooked. I got on the standby list. I was number four. Numbers one through three got on.
that's okay, I'm good. God, I'm here for whatever reason. You just tell me what to do and how to do it. I'm good. So I got on the phone with my wife. She was, oh, I'm sorry. I said, hey, it's forced relaxation. You know me. I don't know how to relax. Now I'm stuck in the airport for seven hours. I'm good. Walk around, get an ice cream. Look at all those cool little trinkets that nobody ever buys that says, I've been to Texas, bought one. <laughs> I was having a good old time, but wondering why I was late. And then I found out the next flight was 9.15, and it might be overbooked. Now, okay, God, whatever you want for me, but I'd really appreciate getting in on that flight. So while I'm waiting for that flight, I run into a couple of women, um, different times, who have also missed their flights, and a couple of men who missed their flights. She chatted with a couple of them and found out that one of the women got her ticket, and I got on the standby list. And I'm thinking, okay, that's the way you want to play it? <laughs> I'm good with that. However you want it, I'm good. And one of the ladies said to me, it was so funny, I went up to the counter and I said, I don't understand. It's not my fault I was late. I should get a ticket and I should get on the flight. And she said, sir, that's just da, 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 da. Is there anybody I can call? No, we don't have customer service. I'm the only person that can help you. If you've got a further problem, you can go onto the website, send an email. I'm sure they're just sick of irate customers yelling at them. So I'm okay. But the lady, she says, and by the way, when you go up there, don't cry. It doesn't help. <laughs> I didn't intend to, but thanks for the advice. <laughs> so I get called onto the 915 flight, and I'm like, Thank you, Lord. Now, this time I'm tired, and I'm just ready to show up in wherever I need to go. And the seat I get is right next to one of those women I met. Hmm. We start talking, and she uh, drops the C-bomb. She said she and her family are really active at church. And I said, oh, you're church people, huh? I said, well, I just happen to be a pastor. Really? And so I was looking for the opportunity, and it presented itself. And now I want to see if she's a real Christian or just a title Christian. So I go a little deeper with the conversation. And she tells me, she says, you know, and I've been praying that God would help me learn more about the Jewish roots of my faith. <laughs> so you're the reason I miss my flight. If you're visiting here, you may not know this about me, but I also lead a Jewish Christian congregation on Saturday mornings and have a Jewish background and a degree in things Jewish. So I said, well, guess what we do? We broadcast our services live online every week, and we would love to help you learn more about your, the Jewish roots of your faith. In fact, just this weekend, I'm going to be talking about the highest of all Jewish holidays, Yom Kippur. Why don't you log in? She logged in yesterday and we had her for services. It was such a wonderful thing. So why do I tell you this story other than just to give another gripe and to express myself? Because I wanted to talk to you about faith. It was a little thing, that trust in God. Somebody gave me that little nudge in the right direction. Hey, God's in control, even over missed flights. And my attitude totally changed. As soon as I remembered whom I serve and who runs this universe, even Dallas-Fort Worth, <laughs> I chilled out. And I saw my missed plane not as a but as an opportunity to do God's work, whatever that may be.
That's what faith is. It's just trusting God. It doesn't matter if the circumstances are pleasant or unpleasant. With Abraham, he's got to kill his son. How do you trust God? That's some serious trust. But that's what faith is. So how do we please God? Trust and obey. If God says to do something, you do it. If God says to not do something, you don't do it. You don't say, gee, Lord, if I'm honest at my job like you want me to be, I'll get fired because everybody else here is dishonest. I can't keep up. They all lie on their paperwork. If I don't lie, I'll look like I'm underperforming. So I got to lie on my paperwork. Trust God. Do right. There was a movie, I think it was The Flywheel, where it came down like that. They were watching this guy, and the bosses of the company came in and offered him this nice promotion and permanent job, but they required him to be dishonest. And he said he had to go home and think about it. And his wife was like, hey, man, this is the job God's given you. Just do what they want. It doesn't really matter. He goes back the next day, and he says, no, I'm not taking the job. And they say, you're the first person who we've offered this job to who had said that. Congratulations, it was a test. You got the job. Just trust God. God knows what he's about. So, I told you, we've got to love God. How do we do that? Trust and obey. And we have to love our human being as we love our uh, fellow human beings as we love ourselves. How do we do that? It's not trust or obey. It's serve. That's the first. And that's why we always have ministry applications available. Anybody who's part of this congregation who's ready to serve their fellows in this congregation, they can fill out a ministry application. We will try to find you a place. There's always something to do here. Always. Serve fellow human beings. And then the other one is a bunch of words, but after I share them with you, you'll get it. Kindness, patience, forgiveness, forbearance. You know... I started off telling y'all, and you agreed, we all screw up. So you know you're going to disappoint somebody. You just know it. What we've got to do in order to love one another is just say, okay, no biggie. I forgive it. I'm not even going to worry about it. Oh, man, I screwed up. Yes, you did. Whatever. Just, it's, it's water under the bridge. I forgive it. Why would you do that? Because you're going to need the same. We're all going to disappoint each other. We can't help it. We're broken. So the only way we can possibly get along with one another is if we just give a grace card. Just forgive. Forget it. It's, it's not that big a deal. I, I, I overlook it. Do me a favor. When I screw up, you, you overlook mine too. Done, done. Agreed. Hugs, over. So how do we love one another? We serve one another, and we just do the best we can to be decent people, and when we screw up, we ask God and them to please forgive us, and we move forward. So this whole thing about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and sin, sometimes, you know, if you're new to all this, you'll say, why does it even matter? Listen to what the Bible says. It says, your wickedness, the word they actually use there is iniquities, but who uses that word anymore? Nobody even knows what that means. And it's pretty much the same as wickedness. Your iniquities, your wickedness has separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. If you've not seen God, now you know why. 
If you've not heard from God personally, if he hasn't come over to your house for breakfast, now you know why. Sin is a barrier between humans and God. That's why it matters. We've got to find a way to get rid of that barrier. We couldn't do it, so God had to do it. According to the Bible, the chapter that deals with Yom Kippur, a sacrifice is made, and that lessens the sin barrier, which is rather interesting. You go to God, you confess your sins, and then you kill an animal. Why in the world would killing an animal help connect you with God? Well, before I answer that, I want to tell you about the, the power of that chapter of Scripture. It was written by Moses about 3,500 years ago. All right? Sacrifices were made. Then the temple was destroyed. Jewish people had no more sacrifices. Jews who believed in Jesus knew Jesus was their sacrifice. They were fine. But Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, they felt like they were up a creek without a paddle. How are they going to get their sins forgiven without a sacrifice? The temple is destroyed. What are we going to do? To this very day, Orthodox Jewish people, on the holiday of Yom Kippur, sacrifice chickens. Believe it or not, even in this country. Now, chickens were never acceptable for Yom Kippur. And the Bible said all sacrifices had to be done in the temple in Jerusalem by the priests. That's not happening either. But the idea that they know they need a sacrifice is so strong in their soul because of the word of God that they break all the rules just in case. They don't know what else to do. I know this Jewish guy. Um, he became a Buddhist. For 16 years, he was a Buddhist, except for one day out of the year he went to the synagogue. Guess which one? Yom Kippur. And his answer was, just in case. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> we know there's something wrong. We don't know how to fix it, but there's always that just in case. So the Orthodox Jews will take a chicken, swing it over their head, over the heads of the children, and they'll say this prayer. This is my exchange. This is my substitute. This is my atonement. This chicken will go to its death while I will enter and proceed to a good long life and peace. I was raised Jewish. I'd never heard about any of this. I wasn't raised Orthodox. When I first read about it, I thought somebody was lying to me. There's no way this happens. It does. I've got a video I'd like you to see. Let's take a look. found myself in an interesting gathering in Brooklyn this week. I found myself in an interesting One involving lots of chicken swinging. One involving lots of chicken swinging. Everyone was swinging them. Older men. Everyone was swinging them. Older men. Younger women. Younger women. Older couples. Younger couples older expecting couples. a baby. Younger couples expecting a baby. Parents wave them above their children. Parents wave them above their children. And of course you had young guys having a bit of fun. And of course you had young guys having a bit of fun. It was a surreal scene and perhaps I should back up a bit. It was a surreal scene and perhaps I, I should I was driving back up on Tuesday bit. on Main Street in Queens. I was driving on when Tuesday I saw a tent on Main set up and a man when waving a chicken a over his children. It was Matsi Lax. And he explained that this was called Caparot. 
custom observed by some Orthodox Jews before Yom Kippur, in which one's sins are symbolically transferred to a chicken. Each member of the family gets gets one. Boy for a boy, Each girl for a girl. This is symbolic. Boy for a boy, girl and we sort of hand off our sins to this chicken, and the chicken loses its life instead of us. And there's, and there's a, a portion of the prayer that you say at the end that specifically says that um, this is in my place. This will be in my stead. And um, in, in, for that, I will, I will get to live a long life, and, and my shortened life will be handed off to the chicken. Mati told me I'd find a much busier Kaparot scene in Tom Hanks. So I headed to 770 Eastern Parkway, the world headquarters of the Lubavitch movement of Hasidic Jews, who were devoted to the late Rebbe Menachem Schneerson. They directed me to nearby President Street, where tens of thousands of chickens had been brought in. Kaparot was just starting. After waving the chicken and saying the prayer, after waving the chicken, people would hand the, the chicken to a kosher butcher set up in the street. Every few minutes, another person would come up and ask me if I was an animal rights activist, taking pictures to document claims of animal cruelty. They said that such activists, who have been very critical of this custom, I've often shown up here in the past with cameras. I've often shown up here in the past with cameras. I met a man named Menachem Shagalo, and he told me a bit more about Kaparov. And he told me a bit and more the chicken about is chosen because that's the, it's a meal. It's, it's a meal. It's not, the customers to give it to poor people or people who need it. It's an act of charity is done with this chicken. I told Menachem I found it quite a scene. I told Menachem he laughed and told me to come back after midnight. I did, and I watched them going through countless crates of chickens. The swinging in Crown Heights continued to the wee hours of the morning. activists always go there and tell them no 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 this is cruel to animals well if eating animals is considered cruel to animals I mean these are kosher butchers they're the nicest of all the butchers well swinging the chickens is mean swinging them is mean the things fly they don't mind swinging <laughs> I don't agree with the tradition it's not biblical in fact it's unbiblical but I understand why they do it this passage of scripture for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. How in the world can killing an animal help my soul? Can't. But Steve, you just read. I'll read you a little more in a moment. All these religions throughout history, they say, we must sacrifice to appease the gods. And they'll take a baby or a human being or a pig and they'll sacrifice it like these gods are just bloodthirsty beings. Well, their gods probably are. Bloodthirsty beings who are pleased with the death of some innocent thing. It's not the way it goes with God. First of all, these things that are killed, they're eaten. We all eat meat to this very day. We still decide that's a good thing to do. So then why did God require the sacrifice? Here's why. I sin that dies, I live. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
I've committed a capital offense. It's a felony. I deserve to die for disrespecting God. He's the biggest judge in the universe with the baddest set of laws, and I've broken them. Death penalty. But God is the most loving being in the universe, too. He doesn't want to kill me. So he allows me to see, week after week, year after year, the consequences of my sin without the judgment of that sin falling on me. It's a powerful object lesson, but it really doesn't help other than teach me a lesson. Now, I told you I'd read you more to help fill out that picture. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 10. The law of Moses is like a shadow of the good things to come. This shadow isn't the good thing themselves because it cannot free people from sin by the sacrifices that are offered year after year. That's the sacrifices it's talking about, Yom Kippur. If there were worshipers who already have their sins washed away and their consciences made clear, there would not need to be sacrifices or ongoing sacrifices. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. It only reminds people of their sins. So what does this do? It reminds us of our sins. It doesn't help at all. It's like that little sticker up in my window. It doesn't change my oil for me. It just tells me the oil needs to be changed. Each time I look at it, I remember. And when that little light pops on, it says I need gas, I better pay attention. It doesn't help me get gas, it just tells me now's the time. If you're going to get gas, you better do it now. And that little oil light doesn't help me at all. It doesn't change my oil, but it warns me I need oil change, or oil attention to my engine at least. So Yom Kippur and these sacrifices were stickers in the window. They were oil change lights. Something's wrong. Something needs to be fixed. Don't forget, something can die in your place. Sin causes death, but something can take that wrath off of you. That's what it did. Beautiful object lesson. But they didn't quite cut it. When Christ came into the world... He said to God, I'm still in Hebrews 10, I'm in verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, Sacrifices and offerings are not what you want, but you've given me a body. No, you're not pleased with animal sacrifices and offerings for sin. Then Christ said, And so, my God, I have come to do what you want. As the scriptures say, the law teaches that offerings and sacrifices must be made because of sin. But why did Christ mention these things and then say God did not want them? Well, it was to do away with offerings and sacrifices and to replace them. That is what he meant by saying to God, I have come to do what you want. So we're all made holy because Christ obeyed God and offered himself once for all. Those animals weren't an end. They were a means to an end. They were a sticker pointing us to the solution. Tell us what would be coming, which is Jesus. Because how can an animal take away my sins? We're not even related. And it's not volunteering. And it's not holy. But it makes a good point. Sin causes death, and something could death, die in my place. That I get. So... During this high holiday period for Jewish people that ends with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, begins with Rosh Hashanah uh, 11 days ago, 10 days before Yom Kippur, Jewish people start confessing their sins, trying to make amends, giving charity, 
Orthodox ones killing chickens. By the way, the chickens usually go to a poor family. More charity. Trying to get right with God. In the synagogue, during that time frame of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a passage of scripture is read. And none of the Jewish people who read it understand it. Let me read it to you. It's fairly lengthy, but stay with me because I promise you in a couple minutes it's going to blow your socks off. All right. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to, said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go... You know, I'm trying to do God's voice. How do you do God's voice? Like this. But I think God's nice. So maybe it's not like this. I don't know how to do God's voice. Take your son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What is going through Abraham's mind right now? God just said to take your son and kill him. Abraham, you trust God? Abraham might be saying, for a missed airplane, sure. But for killing my son? Well, Steve might be saying, not so much. Let's see what Abraham says. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. God said, do something. Abraham said, I'm doing it. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. God took him on quite a journey. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Hey, son, want to go camping? Dad, I see the knife. I see the wood. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, son. Uh, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What's Isaac thinking at this point? Isaac wasn't four. Most commentators think he was a grown man. Well, if your dad grabs you and he's got a knife and wants to tie you up, run. Punch him and run. Don't worry, Andrew. It's never going to happen. <laughs> what is Isaac thinking? Isaac let him do it. This is amazing to me. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Did you see the two chickens that were killed up on the screen up there? How many of you saw that? Let me see your hands. Yeah, most of you saw that. They didn't scream. They're screaming more sitting in their cage. It was a very merciful killing. According to Jewish tradition, when you kill an animal, 
when you butcher it, it has to be as painless as humanly possible. In fact, it is painless to an animal. The knife has to be razor sharp. If there's a nick in it, they can't use that meat and they have to get a new knife. The animal cannot suffer at all. That's the Jewish law. It's not found in the Bible, but that is the Jewish law that they follow to this very day. You didn't kill the chicken like this. And that's not how they killed the cows. That's certainly not how Abraham was going to kill his son. So when it says he took his knife to slay his son, that's where he put the knife. He was going to go to slay his son as quickly and painlessly as possible. I point this out to you because it isn't until he took his knife to slay his son that God intervened. The messenger of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him now. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So the way I picture the story went down like this. Isaac's on the altar. Abraham grabs the knife, puts it up to his son's throat, and then the messenger from heaven says, Stop. Yes, Lord? <laughs> you don't have to go through with this. It was a test. Just to see if you would. Now, Jewish people from this have learned that God does never want a, a human sacrifice, and that's the story they point to. They miss the whole point of the story. I'll get to that in a moment. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Every year at this time, Jewish people blow on ram horns, in part because of this story. Want to hear it? Think the rapture horn's going to sound like that? I got a bigger one in my office with a big, deep sounding. I'll have to get that for you someday. So Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, in your English Bible, it probably says Jehovah Jireh, uh, Adonai Yireh. It, it, the Lord will provide is what it means. Jehovah will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, the messenger of the Lord. It's a bad word. I'll get to that in a moment. And this is what he said. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This chapter is read every year in the synagogue between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, usually on the evening of Rosh Hashanah, the new year and the beginning of this holiday season. But that guy's perspective, who thought this made the point that God doesn't want human sacrifice, he missed the whole thing. I'm going to tell you seven things about this story. 
just going to rehash them to you. Then we're going to look at them from another perspective. Seven things. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. That's the first. Second thing. God sent him on a three-day journey. There was only one spot this was supposed to happen, and it was called the land of Moriah. Number three, Abraham told his servants, we will worship and we will come back. He said, we. Abraham knew he was going there to kill his son. Why did he say we're coming back? Was he lying? Just to keep those guys from jumping on him and stopping him? Or was something else going on in his mind? Abraham, number four. Abraham took the wood and placed it on his son Isaac. Isaac spoke up and said, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He carried the wood that he was going to be sacrificed on. How cold is that? Here, son, carry this. Why, Dad? Yeah, you'll see later. Yow. Number five. He said, where's the lamb? Number five is God himself will provide the lamb. Number six, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. The Hebrew word is messenger. God's messenger called from heaven, not an angel. That's not the right word here. It's just a divine messenger of which kind we don't know. Just as messenger. The messenger of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him now. I know you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me. And again, he calls out to him the second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son from me. Basically, I'm going to bless you. So many children, you won't be able to count them. You're willing to kill the one, I'm going to give you an infinite amount. And then number seven, through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because you obeyed me, I'm going to bless the entire world. That's cool. That is powerful. I told you uh, last week's lesson that our behavior affects other people. And I gave a bunch of negative illustrations. Here's a very positive one. Because of what Abraham did, his trust, his love for God, his obedience, resulted in blessing the entire world. How, Steve? I'll tell you. I gave you seven points. I'm going to go back through them again. Point number one, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Interesting language. God has an only son he also loves. And that's emphasized that way in the scripture. So Abraham was supposed to take his only begotten son, whom he loves, and bring him for a sacrifice. God has an only begotten son, whom he loves. God said, go to the land of Moriah. Why there? Out of all places in the universe, he could have taken him. He sent him there. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. He specifically wanted him right on that spot where the temple was going to be, where all the sacrifices for the next 500,000 years were going to be on that one spot where God meets with the people to make atonement. Number three, Abraham told his servants, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Why did he say that? He knew he was going there to kill his son. So he either lied because he didn't want the servants to stop him 
or he told the truth. I'm going with the truth. Well, then you thought, think uh, he knew God was going to stop him? No, then it wouldn't be a test. He knew he was going through with it. Steve, you're not making any sense. He's going to kill his son but come back with his son? How's that going to work, Steve? Well, here's how it works. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, through your son Isaac, you will have many descendants. And then another day, go kill your son Isaac. Well, it never crossed his mind that God could not keep his promise. So if I'm going to kill my son, God's going to have to bring him back to life again. That's the only way he's going to have more children. That's what was going through Abraham's mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll go. We'll come back. I'm going to kill him, but God already made me a promise, so no worries, he's not staying dead. Now, how's that for faith? How's that for trust? Death, that ain't nothing. God can handle that. God made a promise. That can't be broken. Even if he's got to resurrect my son from the death, God will not break his promises, people. Now, here's how the book of Hebrews puts it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac, your descendants, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. What does that mean? He saw in Isaac a symbol. That's what it means. A symbol of what? You know. Abraham took the wood, placed it on his son Isaac. That was number four. Do you remember it says in John chapter 19, verse 17, about Jesus? Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. He had to carry his own cross. Now, later on, he couldn't make it with the big old cross beam, so they conscripted somebody to help him. The wood was laid on Isaac. The wood was laid on Jesus. Isaac had to carry the wood to his own place of sacrifice. Jesus had to carry the wood to his own place of sacrifice. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. But it wasn't a lamb caught in the thicket. It was a ram. So where's the lamb? When John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there's the lamb. God did provide himself a lamb. Remember, Abraham saw it as a type. Abraham afterwards understood what God was doing there on Moriah. The lamb is number five. Number six. But the messenger, the angel of the Lord, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. There's a lot of stuff going on in there, especially if you read it through Jewish eyes for the first time like I did 20-some-odd years ago. First of all, in this chapter, God tells Abraham to go and offer up his son to him, right? Now, this angel, whatever that is, says, don't do it. Too bad. It doesn't matter what an angel says. If God says do something, you do it. Even Paul says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach another gospel, let him be accursed. 
You can't be an angel and countermand God's direct order. God says, kill your son, you kill him. What's with the angel? Angel said, don't do it. Not only that, he said, because you have not withheld from me your son. As if it was to the angel he was doing this. He was supposed to be doing this to God. Remember, I told you, it's a bad word. It's not angel. It's messenger of the Lord, who speaks for God in one instance and as God in another instance. He talks as if he himself is God, but then he talks about God as if he wasn't. Now, it wasn't until I read the book of John that I saw another messenger from the Lord who spoke as if he was God and yet wasn't God all at the same time. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Message? Messenger? Message? Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. Number seven. The messenger of the Lord said, and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. How have all the nations been blessed? Through his offspring. The Bible tells us Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. There's the offspring. Acts chapter 3. You are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. By turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's that same word, iniquities, the same concept that I read to you at the beginning of the lesson. Our iniquities have separated us from God. He sent Jesus to save us from that. So, I appreciate your patience. Longer lesson than usual. But it is Yom Kippur, after all. And I wanted to give you some of that history so you could see why God had those people do that all those years ago. And those people who are killing chickens on the streets of New York need not do that because God has provided the lamb. One sin, sacrifice for all men, for all time, forever. The Bible says if we would confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And it's interesting to me that when God told Abraham, take your only son, the son that you love, he's the type. The most famous verse about salvation is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you've not given your life to Jesus, if you've not had atonement for your sins, I encourage you, do so this morning. Confess your sins. Tell Jesus you believe in him and you want to follow him. Tell him you believe he died for your sins and rose again. And we're going to have some folks in the prayer room over here in just a couple minutes. They'd love to help you out, give you some new believer growth material, and to pray with you. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I pray for the entire Jewish community and all the Gentiles that they would see your son and what you had set up through historical events so that we would know that you were God and honor you. We thank you for Jesus and pray that many people would call on his name. Lord, help us to trust you and to obey you and help us to love one another even as we love ourselves. 
For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.